any of our pastors here at Brazos Point officiates a wedding, we always encourage the couples to go through premarital mentoring where we can help build a, a solid foundation and help them see how their marriage reflects the beauty, the love of Jesus Christ for his church and the church for Jesus Christ. One of the things that we do during that premarital mentoring is give them an assessment. It's a, it's a personality kind of assessment, kind of lets them know where they're compatible and on issues that they'll, they'll struggle in. And everybody's got some issues that they, they, they uh, struggle with. And so we just, we're trying to help them to be very informed about what they have to look forward to and where they need to work. So we do that assessment. I remember years ago, those young couple that had just joined our church and they were living together and they decided that they wanted to bring God into the relationship and make him the center of it and then obey him and, and, uh, and, and come together in a covenant marriage commitment, uh, a covenant that, that has no ending. And so we went through there and we started just, we had a great time going through that assessment. I mean, going through the, the premarital mentoring with them, Kathy and I did. But then also we uh, gave them the assessment. And when I got to the point where I went through the, walked through the assessment with them, I said, well, I said, you know, this eager young couple, I said, I've got some good news and some bad news. And they said, well, Greg, tell us the bad news first. I said, well, according to this assessment, you're both spenders. Neither one of you is a saver. You're... <laughs> you're probably going to be broke and living paycheck to paycheck most of your life. And they went, what's the good news? I said, well, the assessment also lets us know that you're so chill, you probably don't even care. <laughs> you're going to be fine. You're going to have a very happy marriage. I don't think it's going to be a problem. And here we are, 20 years and four kids later, they're still together. And I was talking to them about afterwards. They said, yeah, we knew you were talking about us. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing. And they're not broke either. So that is always fun to, to talk with folks. And, and you know, we, we've heard, we hear this phrase, good news, bad news all the time. It's always give me the bad news first. Well, what we're gonna be looking at today as we finish out John chapter 15 and move into John chapter 16, we're gonna see that Jesus did a bit of a good news, bad news talk with his disciples. Um, Jesus introduced the Lord's Supper to us the night that he was betrayed. We just observed the Lord's Supper. On that evening, they shared the Lord's Supper together as David just led us in. And then in the remaining hours they had, that Jesus knew his time was very short. He knew that he would be arrested later that night. In the remaining hours that they had, Jesus walked through the three years of journeying they'd been together with and summarized, tried to summarize all that he had taught them and to prepare them for the future. We call those, those, those talks that we find in John chapters 13 all the way to verse chapter 17, we call it the upper room discourses. Now, Joseph shared the good news that Jesus shared last week, last Sunday. He said, Jesus said, if you remain in my love and keep my commands, they go together, my joy will be in you. You'll experience complete joy. We talked about that in our small groups as we you know, discussed the, the message from the previous week. We talked about that joy and, and how that differs from just temporary happiness and that joy that stays with you despite circumstances. And Jesus is promising them that they will have joy no matter what, the, the joy of God in their hearts. Today, though, we're going to see that Jesus followed this good news about joy, complete joy, with some fairly bad news. Jesus warned them they were going to experience the hatred that had been primarily focused on him as he invited them into the arena of conflict that, is, that exists for those who share the gospel with people, who share the gospel light in a world of darkness. But just before he delivered the bad news, this is kind of the transition that he made. 
he reminded them of a command that he'd given them earlier that evening and really a command that he had lived out with them. He said, love each other. Love each other. Here's a lesson for us in that. How do we face opposition to our faith? Because it is coming. That's what he was about to talk about. We love each other. We love each other. We determine that no matter what, we love each other. It is that important. Satan has done effective work in dividing the church of Jesus Christ in America over the past few years of the pandemic, racial unrest, and really divisive political conflict that, is, that, that has come into the church. And unless we choose to stick together and say, our commonality in Jesus Christ is above everything else, however we feel about anything else, our, the lordship of Jesus and our fellowship with him and with each other is the most important thing in our lives. Unless we do that, choose to love each other, no matter what, no one is going to listen to us share the good news of Jesus Christ, and they're not gonna believe there's much worth in following Jesus if they don't see it lived out in our lives and in our love for one another. And we won't survive without loving one another. Brothers and sisters, we need to love each other, and I want you to see why that's so important. Open your Bible, if you have one, to John chapter 15, verse 18. If you don't have a print Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can pick one up at the Welcome Center. As you walk out, we have both English and Spanish uh, translations. We're going to put the words on the screen, but if you're looking for the Bible, either scroll on your phone about two-thirds of the way down, or if you're flipping through a Bible like this, the book of John is in the New Testament. Now, I say this every week. You hear this every week. But there are always folks that are new here and maybe don't know. And so I just want you to know, if you're looking for the book of John, it is in the New Testament. It's the fourth of four Gospels. The first four books, we call them Gospels. Gospel means good news, the good news of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're looking at the book of John. Go to John chapter 15, verse 18. Now, this is where Jesus shifts his talk from good news to bad news. After he said, now love each other. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus wanted to make sure that his disciples would not be caught off guard when they faced opposition. And that's exactly why we're not skipping this, this portion of the text here today, is I don't want you to be caught off guard when you face opposition for your faith. If you follow Jesus and obey his commands, some people will hate you. They, they will hate you. They will accuse you of hateful motives that have never been in your heart they will accuse you of evil things that you've never done or even thought about doing. It doesn't matter. The fact that we have faced very little persecution in this country is actually quite unique uh, to the experience of our brothers and sisters around the world. You know, the first hatred that I just hate that I ever saw aimed towards me was, was actually after I became pastor of this church and I was invited to, to give a prayer up in Houston at a, a, an organization, a charitable event. Uh, fundraiser, and uh, a member of our church is part of this organization. She asked me to go pray, so I went up there, and when the time came for me to pray, I prayed and asked God's blessing on this organization, and then I ended my prayer as I always do whenever I'm in a public setting, 
I said, I offer this prayer with respect to people of all faiths in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. And I thought that was being courteous. I thought that was being kind and respectful of people that might not share my faith in Jesus and, and have a strong faith in, in something else, someone else that's not really God. But I was trying to be respectful, and I thought that would, that would you know, be seen that way. But I mean, shortly after this event was over, uh, this man came up to me, seemed kind at first, introduced himself as a member of the Jewish Anti-Defamation League, and then he lit into me. How dare you use the name Jesus in this public setting? I said, well, it's my Lord. I, did you hear how I ended my prayer? I tried to reason with him, and it just didn't matter. He wasn't hearing it. The only thing I had done for this person who did not know me was invoke the name of Jesus. It was my association with Jesus that, that brought that on. Like I said before, if you follow Jesus, some people will hate you and be hateful to you. But listen, try not to take it personally. It's not you. It's Jesus in you who offends them. Jesus is the object of their hate. Well, Jesus explained the reason that people would hate his disciples. He said, because you're going to be saying the same things to others that I have told you. And you're going to be carrying my message of hope. You're going to be bringing light into a dark world. Look down to verse 26. Jesus said, when the advocate comes, Joseph talked about the Holy Spirit being called the advocate last week. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. That's the mission. That's our mission, testify about Jesus. He called us, he called his disciples to follow him for a specific reason, not only to give them freedom from their sins and to give them a hope for eternity and to experience his joy, but also he called them to carry on his mission of carrying light to the world after he returned to heaven. That's why he promised to send the Holy Spirit to live inside them after he left. These, these upper room discourses that we're looking at, they are focusing a lot on the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is who enables us to live for Jesus. Now, what does this have to do with us? Well, he calls us to the same mission. Jesus called you, when Jesus called you to follow him, he commissioned you to be his missionary wherever you live. And for all of us here right now, that is Missouri County. For those of you listening online, that, could be where, that, that is wherever you live. You are his missionaries there as well. Now, that doesn't mean that you paint up a sign that says, repent, the end is near, and hold it up you know, on the street corner. What that means is, as you abide or remain in Jesus and you obey his commands, he will give you opportunities that you will see to testify about him, to tell what Jesus means in your life and how he, he guides you and helps you in the hope that he has for others. This is our primary mission field. Jesus commissioned you, every one of you, who's a follower of Jesus Christ, he commissioned you to testify about him here in Brazoria County. That's the primary reason he fills you with his Holy Spirit. There are other reasons, as we're gonna see in just a moment, but he fills you with his Holy Spirit so that you can testify about him. You can't do this on your own, and neither can I. It's too big of a message to carry for us to carry on in our own power, but when we remain in him and keep his commands, we begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit that Joseph talked about last week. Love, joy, peace, patience. Like the way I drug that out? Kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we live out that fruit of the Spirit, people see Jesus in us. Someone after the first service pointed out to me, she said, did you notice the bookends? They begin, the fruit of the Spirit begins with love and ends with self-control. When you remain in Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit just begins to flow out from you. You have a message for other people. The Apostle Peter, who listened to Jesus' good news, bad news account that night, years later, in a letter that he wrote to a group of Christ followers, he put it this way, this commission to testify about Jesus. He said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises or testify. You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter recognized what Jesus was saying, the, the news about being persecuted, going along with the fact that we've been called to testify about Jesus. Basically what Peter heard that night, what Jesus said to them that night was, they will hate you because you're different. And you're different because I have called you to be different. That's a good different, not a bad different. That's a love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, different. And when you are that different, the difference is what makes the gospel light shine brighter. And when it shines in you, some people will be drawn to it. They will want what you have. They will recognize the way you love one another and love them. Others, though, as Jesus warned, will resent you because your light exposes the darkness that is in them. And they don't like that. Chapter 16 continues Jesus' warning that his disciples will face opposition as they carry on his message after he returns to heaven. He predicted that anyone who kills them will think that they're actually doing a service for God. In fact, we know from historical sources, Jesus had 12 disciples that followed him around for three years. One of them that night would betray him, Judas. That would leave 11. And of those 11 remaining disciples, 10 of the 11, we know from historical sources, went on to die for their faith. They were martyred. They were murdered for being Christian. Only one of the 12 disciples lived to be an old man. You know who that was? John, the one who wrote this book. He died a natural death, but he still suffered. Imagine what it was like for him to watch as the other 10 disciples, his brothers in Christ, starting with his brother James, died a martyr's death, one by one by one by one. They all suffered for their faith. And the reason I, I tell you that is this should give us some perspective when we receive pushback for our faith. The pushback we receive here is, is nothing like what the disciples experienced, and it's nothing like what a lot of people in our world experience. My service as a trustee, as a new trustee on the International Mission Board, has made me acutely aware of how dangerous it is in much of the world, even today, to be a follower of Christ. And most of the missionaries we now send out with the International Mission Board are going to what we call closed countries. They're going into harm's way to reach people who have not yet heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's some stats for you about what's going on right now in the, in the persecution and the hatred that comes to Christ followers around the world. As many as 8,000 Christians, your brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters in Christ, as many as 8,000 die every year currently for their faith. That's 8,000 people last year. It's 8,000 people this year. 8,000 next year. 
That's the average of how many people are martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. 111 of the 193 countries on this planet either restrict or are hostile to Christians. In North Korea alone, an amount and a population equivalent to the Brazosport area, some 50 to 70,000 Christians are being held in concentration camps right now simply because they call the, the name Jesus is Lord. So I'll say that again because we should be slow to complain about any pers persecution or pushback we receive. And though I do believe that we're going to experience more opposition for our faith here in America in the coming years, it is unlikely that most of us, or many of us, if any of us, will ever suffer the kind of persecution our brothers and sisters are around the world are experiencing, unless God calls some of you to share the gospel in hard to reach places, and I believe that he will. I believe he's calling some of you out right now to go and take the name of Jesus where it's not yet been heard. Well, let's drop down to verse 12. I wanna end on this, good news again. As Jesus continued his predictions of their future, he returned to good news. Not only the good news that the Holy Spirit would be in them and give them a complete sense of joy in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the persecution, he went on to say this, Verse 12 of chapter 16, he said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, listen to this, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Folks, this is incredibly good news. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Why is that important? Because truth matters. We can't live without truth. You can't operate these chemical plants out here without knowing the truth about what happens in chemical reactions. They, you can't just wing it. Truth matters. You can't have a, a solid relationship with someone that's not based on truth. Truth matters. We live in what some have called the, the post-truth era. Have you heard that phrase? It's a place where deception has become commonplace in, in all areas of life, and we see this. See if you haven't heard some of these phrases, okay? We no longer tell lies. Instead, we misspeak, we exaggerate, we exercise poor judgment. Mistakes were made, we say. We no longer use the term deceive. We got a new word for that, it's called spin. And saying, I wasn't being truthful, doesn't that sound better than just saying, yeah, I lied. I didn't care to tell you the truth. We now have terms like, listen to this one, like my truth. Oh really, yours is different? My truth, poetic truth. Nuanced truth, alternative reality, and strategic, I love this one, strategic misrepresentation. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's artful lying is what that is, you know. But here's the deal. When we live in a post-truth culture, how do we see, how do we see through all that to what is real? You know, how can we discern when we're being lied to? How can we know the difference between right and wrong, and how can we know if what we're hearing even matters, if we even need to continue listening to some of the stuff that we hear? How can we know those things? Jesus tells us here, taking from last week where Joseph was talking about up to today, we remain in Jesus, and we follow his commands. When we do that, the Holy Spirit of Jesus will guide us into all truth, now, let me say what that means and what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we're going to know everything about everything. You're not suddenly going to be a scientist who, who understands everything about DNA strands, okay? 
You're gonna have to study a long time to figure that stuff out. But having the Holy Spirit inside of you is like gaining a sixth sense. When you follow Jesus, you will know what you need to know. You will know what you need to know. You won't necessarily know what's going to happen a year from now or six months from now, but you'll know what you need to know today, this afternoon. You'll know what you need to know. The Holy Spirit helps you see the world as it really is, to see the world as God sees it. That's what I mean by a sixth sense. Another way, another description of that is having a biblical worldview. You see the world through the Bible, through the Word of God that He has given us to help us understand what is going on. When the Holy Spirit illumines your heart, a part of you sees what you never saw before. A part of you knows what you never knew before. You'll begin to understand the Bible better as you read through it. I mean, you'll need to go through several rounds before you, you'll never capture all the truth of it. But you'll, you'll understand more and more and more as the Holy Spirit illumines your heart. Obeying Jesus' commands will make sense, will, will make more sense when you realize that Jesus came to give you a full life, a life with complete joy when you are filled and illumined with the Holy Spirit. You won't be as easily fooled by all the false promises of the sexual revolution that just keeps changing and spiraling downward and confusing more and more people. And I just want you to know, we are here. When you realize the lies of the sexual revolution don't give you what they promised, we'll be here for the refugees of the sexual revolution and we will love without condemnation. How can we do that? The Holy Spirit living in us helps us. When the Holy Spirit illumines your heart, you'll gain the capacity to forgive those who have hurt you. How do you forgive someone who's hurt you so badly? Remember, forgiveness is not the same as trust. Forgiveness is just letting go of the right to get even. How do you forgive somebody who's hurt you? The Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit will even help you to love the people that your tribe tells you you should hate because they're just ungodly or they're whatever. The Holy Spirit will help you to see them as God sees them. Is a, is a human being that God loves, that Jesus died for. The Holy Spirit changes everything. He'll change you from the inside out. Why? So that you can look beyond your own circumstances to something much greater. So you can invest your life in something much bigger than yourself. So you can invest your life in the kingdom of God let us rise up, church. Let us love one another. Let us care more about the things of God than anything else and let us share the love of Jesus Christ with a lost world that needs to know him. He is their only hope. That's my prayer for us. That was Jesus' prayer for his disciples, that they would be one together in unity so they could love the world and carry the message of Jesus to the world. Let me pray for you. God, you never promised it was going to be easy, but you promised to never leave us, to always be with us. And, and we see through this now that that is through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would give us boldness, Boldness to speak the truth, but to always speak the truth in love. Show us how to talk to our neighbors and share that love with them. God, help us to, to be like Teflon and, and let, the, 
let the pushback just brush off of us and help us to keep on loving whenever we encounter opposition. God, help us to testify of your son Jesus and what he's done for us. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to take the kingdom of God into every dark corner of this county and everywhere else where you choose to lead us. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.